Welcome to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Jennifer. I'm your co-host, Holly. And today, Melody isn't able to join us. She is caring for her husband, John, who's recovering from an illness. And we wish him a speedy recovery. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about homeschool co-ops, what they are, and how to start your own. But first, let's talk about what we've been doing. How are you doing, Holly? Well, um, thawing out, as most of the country probably (laughs) knows, Texas had an ice storm, a wintry storm. But, you know, I don't mind them too much because I like winter in two to three day doses. (laughs) Yeah, it was a nice little two to three day break for everybody, I think. We do have weird challenges, though. Like I had ice on my front porch and the sun doesn't cover my porch. So I had to scrape it off with a hoe. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have any ice scrapers for our car, so that's always interesting. <laughs> but it, we're we're making it through. Grocery stores are uh, bare right now. I went this morning, and I guess people bought everything up before the storm came. Right, because we went Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and also, I know that uh, my sons who work for HEB had told me that their stores canceled hours, so they just closed. You know, for a number yeah. of hours. You have HEB workers too, don't you? Right. Yep. They closed early and. I've heard they're not getting shipments in, so it's it's kind of a mess with the stores right now. But tomorrow yeah. is supposed to be a very beautiful day, so <laughs> I think we'll make it past all of this. Yeah, and and you know what? You can you can give me cold as long as I get sunshine. When the sun I came agree. out today, it's man, pretty, I was right? a happy camper. Yeah. Well, let's talk about co-ops. So for our listeners, let's talk about what a co-op actually is. How would you describe a co-op? A co-op, I mean, in the in the word co-op, you have cooperative, which means that people get together to achieve a common purpose. A co-op is a way to teach your children things that maybe you can't teach as easily on your own at home or that are more fun in a group setting. And you find other people who want to do that with you. Right. What would you add to that? It doesn't always have to be educational, I would add. I would say it's generally a group of homeschool families who get together for a common purpose. And usually that includes academics, but it could also just be social activities together. Yeah, um, I'm part of a a social group that um, we have a social thing activity once a week. And the whole purpose of the group is to get together to hang out. And so, yeah, I guess that is to create opportunities for your kids as a group. And it could definitely look different for different types of groups, sizes of groups, types of people. And, you know, so there are a lot of... Yeah, some can be really formal. Yes. And also, uh, as we keep mentioning this, but, you know, some states have laws about co-ops. I'm not real familiar with those, but I know Texas here in Texas, there are none. So our co-ops can look, you know, like anything we want them to look like. But there are some things that homeschoolers might think are co-ops that aren't really co-ops, like one-day academies, things like that. So what's the difference? Yeah, so in a co-op, every parent has some kind of a responsibility. And in an enrichment academy, like the one that I had or um, that you and I met at years ago, the, the parents didn't have many responsibilities other than delivering their child to the building on Monday morning and paying yeah. tuition. Um, So parents don't have to teach in enrichment academies, but the general expectation for a co-op is that the parents will be involved. Are involved, yeah. Yeah. And I do know that some people 
have co-ops where the parents get together and hire a teacher maybe or a tutor for a specific subject. Like let's say they want to have a, you know, Spanish class for their co-op and none of the parents can, you know, teach the Spanish class. So they may, may get together and hire teachers to come in and help out, you know, to offer it to their co-op. So there yeah. is a little bit of overlap, which can be confusing, I think, too. So what are some of the reasons why a homeschool family would want to join a co-op? So we were involved in several different co-ops when my older kids were younger. The first co-op we were in was early on in our homeschooling. And I just wanted my kids to have other kids to hang around and be right. You know, be exposed to things like they, we had a PE class and there was somebody that taught Spanish and we did yeah. art together and, and we we had uh, photos, you know, so we got little school photos, yeah. you know, like elementary school light, you right. know, we got together on Fridays. But when my middle daughter got into, she's beginning high school, she really wanted that school type of experience. Mm-hmm. And we, we were not going to do public school. We had done that with our oldest, and it wasn't a good experience. So we took that off the table. Yeah. And I knew I had to find something for this child. And so um, I found a co-op that was very academic, and it met um, mm-hmm. on Fridays, half a day. And it gave her the opportunity to belong to a group of kids that they became really close friends. I love they, that. Yeah, it's real cute because... Um, Quite a few of those kids, at, after they got older, they dated and got married, and now they have children of their own that they're homeschooling. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is. Um, and that co-op offered things, too, like they had a newspaper. So my daughter got to be the editor of a paper. Yeah. There were all kinds of um, school-type activities, but still with the homeschool flavor. And that filled a, a need that we had. And so that's why we chose co-op. I think you have you have different reasons for getting involved in co-ops at different times. I think so too. And I think probably starting out when you have younger children, it usually is for socializing, you know, so that you have a group of kids and peers that they can just, you know, see and on a regular basis. Right. And even though I had five kids, it was still hard to do some things like we could do some things together, yeah. But, you know, if you're trying to teach group sports, team sports. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For a PE class, it's nice to have a <laughs> yeah, group of children. Yeah, it's a little hard. <laughs> right. Now, um, you've been involved in different co-ops. What, why did you choose co-ops? Well, the socializing aspect is one. And I, too, you know, I have a lot of kids. But it's still, it's different when they're with kids that aren't their siblings. Obviously, they learn a lot from that. So just learning to work with other kids is a big thing. But also... Sometimes your own kids don't necessarily listen as well to you as they do to others. <laughs> so I think another big advantage of co-ops is that when they have another adult teaching them and leading them, that they learn from that in a different way than they do from you. Um, so that's a big advantage, I think. And that was definitely, for me, sometimes I needed my kids to listen to someone else, you know, and it gives me a little break. And it also teaches them different styles of learning and teaching and things like that. The other thing I think is interesting is um, when they're around these other adults, they often find out that the expectations we had for them are the expectations parents have for their own children. Exactly. It kind of helps us in our, you know, have somebody like backing us up, right? Yes. Absolutely. And I think as my kids got older, some of them did need some academic courses that maybe I wasn't as familiar with teaching. So for high school level co-ops that we've belonged to, you know, we have 
parents who are teaching things that they maybe have a degree in that I don't. And so that's a really helpful aspect of co-ops as your kids get older, that you can find people in your community, in your own community that are qualified and skilled at subjects that you may not be. And it's really great to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, my middle daughter, um, the reason we went to the the second co-op, there was a mom in our co-op that had a degree in science, and she took biology and chemistry with this mom. And I was elated about that because I had never taken chemistry, and I wasn't interested (laughs) in learning how to to facilitate that. Although you, we did have an episode about this in Teaching Science, that there are ways, even when it's not your subject. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I think nice that's important that. to mention that, you know, you can teach anything as you know, if you put the effort in, you can learn how to teach your kids, but it's nice to have mm-hmm. other people who are knowledgeable yeah, to help it you. Is. Um, it is. I, I have, I'm in a co-op right now with my high school kids and I'm teaching a, an English class and we're working on writing essays and I do have a degree in English. So I, I have some, some expertise on this. One of the things I'm remembering about the advantages of co-ops right now is that it teaches kids some accountability that they may not Mm -hmm. have in the home setting. Um, It's a hard lesson for homeschoolers sometimes because, you know, we're more loose. They're not having to turn in things necessarily on time to a teacher and things like that. So in the high school level, that is something that they're really getting out of being in a co-op situation as well. Yeah, that's an important distinction to make because a lot of homeschoolers are going to go on to college and they need to be able to understand that a deadline is actually a deadline. Yes. (laughs) And not, you know, sometimes we as parents, we're really, you know, generous about that. Oh, yeah, I know you were busy or oh, this or that. But, you know, it's not going to be like that in the workplace. It's not going to be like that in college. So it's important for them to have those experiences of interacting with other people who and also who teach differently. So what are some things you'd want to look out for when when joining a co-op? Well, I think that uh, one of the first things is that people need to realize it's a commitment to a community. And so um, if you have a really crazy schedule, um, particularly people who have maybe babies or little kids, a co-op might be harder to commit to. I mean, and they have, you know, they run for different periods of time. Some co-ops run for a full semester, you know, from like September to the end of November or something. So you really have to figure out if you have the time commitment. I've participated in a lot of co-ops over the years that have just been monthly co-ops where you meet once a month. So even when you do have the problem with maybe you're not, your kids aren't the right age, you can, you can kind of shop around until you find Mm -hmm. one that fits for your family. But I would say one of the other things that you really need to look out for is that you kind of have to click with the people that you're joining the co-op with. So you need to have some things in common and and really believe in the same kind of educational uh, goals and things like that for your kids. Because if you get into a group that you maybe don't fit as well with or you don't see eye to eye on things like how to educate or even things like um, your expectations of your kids as far as manners go and things like that, it might be difficult for you. I agree. There's a lot of different philosophies that come into education and child rearing, and it's important Um, And a good co-op will have that information for you so that you can evaluate whether or not it's a good fit. Right. Uh, Because you don't want to sign up for something and then you've got 12 weeks of just gritting your teeth and grudging through it. And there's things to look for. Yeah. (laughs) 
So you should know up front what, what you're looking for, I guess, before you go out to find one. Because, for example, if you're looking for a faith-based co-op, that, that's a very particular type of group versus a secular type of co-op. So knowing what you actually uh, want for your family before you start looking into co-ops would be important. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's paramount. So once you're ready to find a co-op, how, how, what's the best way to do it? You know, there have been several ways I've found co-ops. One um, was just through word of mouth. Um, this was back before Facebook was a thing, <laughs> back, yes. back in the dark ages of homeschooling. But, you know, I do find that still I hear about things from other people and not necessarily from a search. So word of mouth is really good. Um, and then, of course, you can do a search on Facebook for homeschool co-op near me or something yeah. like that. And if there's a local homeschooling organization, you know, you can connect with them. Austin area homeschoolers is very well known in central Texas. Yes. And they're a great clearinghouse to find um, information. And I would imagine most communities across the United States have such big groups that they can connect with to find out what's going on. And when you find one, you can really just go on to those groups and say, hey, are there any co-ops? What kind are happening in our area? You know, mm -hmm. and usually you'll get a lot of response. I agree, though, that there still is a big word of mouth. Um, a lot of co-ops don't advertise or announce themselves, you know, so mm -hmm. I think when you attend things like homeschool park days and things like that, just, you know, chatting with the other parents, you'll find out about opportunities as well. And sometimes local libraries will know about co-ops that are happening too. This is true because homeschoolers tend to use libraries as many right. places when they can. And sometimes you, you will hear about them from a church. Churches often are places yes. where homeschool co-ops are meeting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to find them. Getting into relationship with other homeschoolers, which we, we say again and again and again, is really the way to go. Yes. Um, you'll find out so much if you just make relationships with other homeschoolers. Exactly. So if you can't find what you're looking for, or if you, you know, just have some ideas of your own and would like to create your own co-op, we're going to talk about how to do that in the next part of our podcast. But first, we'll hear a short word from our sponsor. The Happy Homeschooler podcast is sponsored by Transcript Maker. It's an online service that allows you to create professional high school transcripts from the comfort of your own home. Calculating GPA can be such a chore, but with Transcript Maker, it's free. Instead of hours of compiling data, you simply insert the credits and grades and the GPA appears on the transcript like magic. Hard drive errors can cause you to lose all sorts of important documents. Transcript Maker has you covered by keeping your transcript in the cloud, safe and sound whenever and wherever you need it. Have you ever signed up for a free trial and they made you put in your payment information? Transcript Maker's 14-day free trial is truly free. No need to enter your payment information and it cancels itself after two weeks. So you can give it a test drive and see what you think without worrying about a hidden fee somewhere. And when you decide to subscribe, use our exclusive coupon code HAPPY. That's H-A-P-P-Y in all caps and save 20% off the cost of your subscription. That is a really great deal. It's very generous. Transcript Maker. Simply better transcripts. Welcome back to the podcast. During the first half, we discussed the benefits of co-ops. Now we're going to discuss why you would build your own co-op and how to do it. So Holly, what are some reasons someone might start their own co-op? 
Well, the primary reason would be that you looked at the available co-ops and it really didn't fit the need that you were looking to fill. Say that you're looking for a certain focus. Um, you are involved in the running of a co-op. Did you, were you involved in it from the ground up? This one I was, yes. And it was really, for me, we live in a small community. So I think if you live in a smaller community, it's harder to find what you might be looking for for your own kids. Uh, so that's one of the reasons you would start one. People who live in larger cities probably have more options. But the lack of availability, I think, is definitely the number one reason people look into starting their own. And the listeners of this podcast know that I'm a Charlotte Mason aficionado. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are a lot of co-ops around where I live, even though uh, my community is kind of small. But none of them are a Charlotte Mason specific right. co-op that's close to me. Right. Um, and so if I were going to start one, which I might at some point in the future, it would be because I wanted it to have that specific focus. Right. And I think that when, when I've talked to people in the past about starting their own co-op, what it really starts with is what do you want for your kids? What do your kids need? What does your family need? And, and that's the first question you answer. You know, if your kids need some more academics or if your kids need some more social opportunities or if you want to get together with people to work on Charlotte Mason education theories, it, it's really what do you want first, which is nice because you can create your own and cater it to your own needs. Yeah, and it's kind of like, um, oh, what was that Kevin Costner? your movie you know if you build it they will come right Cause, yeah because you think <laughs> that is oh, true you, yeah you think well <laughs> you know maybe I'm the only one interested in this and when you start putting it out there people come out of the woodwork wanting to be part yes. of it but it's a big responsibility and there's a lot of moving parts it is there are so many moving parts and there are a lot of things to consider so I'd say after you've decided that you would like to get one started and you've decided basically, you know, what, what you're really looking for for your own kids, then you kind of need to narrow it down. You need to decide what the purpose of your co-op is. So is the purpose academic? Is the pur purpose a social group? That That's pretty much, I, I think that's the first big question you need to answer when you're deciding. Yeah, it's otherwise it's hard to know what you're going to do. And you could have a co-op that, that includes all of those things, socials and academic things, but you kind of need to narrow it down before you start approaching other people um, so that they have an idea of what you're looking for, what you want to create. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the next thing that you probably need to get into place is um, you don't want to be the Lone Ranger, right? You need some people to help Absolutely. in the leadership of this this new venture. Right. So how did that look for you when you were creating? Were you the creator of this co-op that you're in now? I was with a couple of other people and I've, I've been in a few co-ops that I've started from the ground up and, and they've all begun with just a couple of friends talking about, Hey, my kid really needs to work on this or is interested in this and they want to do it with other kids. And then we just casually have started talking about it. You know, I would say word of mouth, like we talked about before is one of the ways to find people, uh, talk to other homeschool parents at park days and things like that and see who's interested. But really you start with your friend, your group of friends, I think. That makes sense to me because when, when we're at our homeschool socials, the kids are running around, you know, playing on the playground equipment or whatever. And yes. the parents are talking and then we're discussing, you know, how school is going and what are your issues that you're running into or what is it that you'd like to do? Yeah. And naturally in conversation, you start to find these common points that you can build on. 
Right. So um, I know that the co-ops I've belonged to in the past, they've been really formal because they were academic co-ops and they had certain rules and, you know, certain hours and things like that. Right. So I think, you know, after you've you've got your group of people together and you kind of have an idea generally where you want to go, those are the things you have to really sit down and, and consider. And the format of your group, the style of your group, things like how often you'll meet, uh, when you'll meet, those are the kind of things you're going to need to sit down and talk about. What ages you'll be, you know, catering to, things like that. I, uh, in my experience, we've belonged to groups that are very limited in age range or have large age ranges. We've belonged to groups that meet, you know, twice a week or once a week or once a month. So there are all those options you have to consider. Have you belonged to any that, that were non-academic? Uh, yeah, we belonged to a hiking group a few years ago. Um, and mm-hmm. so we, we had some expectations. Um, the expectations were uh, mainly around how we were going to behave when we were out on these hikes. So we, um, everybody that joined had to agree that they would make sure their children knew, you know, like trail etiquette and how to interact with Mm -hmm. nature, things like that. And then we were supposed to, sometimes you have agreements where you commit to attending a certain number of those and so um, the non-academic ones, um, you still have expectations or you should still create expectations. Right. And so that that brings me to one of the big things you have to decide before you start your co-op or what are your rules or your guidelines, mm-hmm. if you have any, what they will be. And so you're, you know, you're obviously you're working together with some other parents. And when you sit down after you've figured out schedules or what you're teaching or focusing on or when you're meeting, where you're meeting and those things, you need to talk about expectations and guidelines. So what are some of the common expectations at a co-op? Well, um, the ones that we were in had, um, some of them had dress code things. Um, Some of them had, you know, behavior expectations for um, classrooms, um, which it's important when you are bringing homeschool kids into a group setting that everybody understands that there's got to be a little bit more of consideration for other people. You know, Mm -hmm. if if you're at home with your kids and they blurt out, it's probably not a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you're in a classroom and people are blurting out every couple of minutes, you can't get anything done. So um, that's somewhat of a, you know, expectations about behavior, maybe expectations about attendance. Yes, I agree with that. Um, so attendance is a big deal because the parents that are, are teaching are taking time and uh, they prepare for classes. They have supplies for the classes. They, you know, they've, they've pre-planned for classes. So attendance is part of being a member of mm-hmm. the co-op. You know, it's part of being, you know, the team player, basically. It doesn't really work well. And homeschoolers, they kind of sometimes have a bad habit of just We can be going. flaky, I'll admit <laughs> um, it. Yes, we, we can definitely be flaky. So the commitment of showing up is, is important to make a co-op continue to run. And that's for any type of co-op that you're in. Um, some of the other things to consider as far as guidelines go is, do you want parents there during classes, the parents that are not teaching? Or do you want them to drop children off and disappear, mm-hmm. basically? Um, and in regards to that, what about younger siblings? If you're allowing parents there, are younger siblings allowed to stay? And I know in most academic settings, in academic 
based co-ops, the parents are expected to, you know, kind of drop off and go. I'm currently in one that's pretty casual. It is academics, but we meet at a park and parents generally stay and hang out at the park and they have their, you know, younger siblings with them. So there's a lot of ways to work around that. Uh, Some of the structure of co-ops that I've been involved in, the academic ones were that a parent taught a class and they assisted in a class and then they had a class off. Usually they were three class structures Mm -hmm. and then we would break and everybody would eat lunch together. Right. And then end the day. Um, So there, there were, uh, you know, rules or expectations about that a parent would teach a a course. And if they didn't feel comfortable, then perhaps they could assist in two classes. Right. But we, we didn't have parents in the classes except for the, the parent who was teaching and the parent who was the assistant. Um, but parents were required to stay on the campus or in the area. Um, and that was for, I guess, uh, you know, a safety issue. If, if something happened to a kid, the parent was nearby. Right. But it can be really distracting if there's a whole bunch of people milling about while you're trying to run a class. Absolutely. I know that in our co-op I'm currently in, we have a younger group, you know, for I think they're four to seven-year-olds or four to six-year-olds. They have a basically, they have a preschool co-op that they do. And previous years, we've had parents uh, be allowed to come and assist in the class. But it really became an issue of the kids at that age really act Mm -hmm. differently when their parents are there, you know, they're much more independent than when their parents are not assisting them in the classroom. (laughs) So um, we, this year we switched it up and have asked that parents, you know, kind of not be in the actual classroom while we're learning. um, And that's made a huge difference. So, you know, you can always uh, grow and learn what works for your particular co-op as well. Yeah. And I think that if you have a a multi- grade or multi-age co-op, you do have to have some provision for the youngest children um, who will be there, um, you know, that they'll have maybe a little preschool type of thing or just that those children have some fun activities and supervision while a parent is teaching an older group. So the the more open you make the co-op or the wider variety of ages, the more considerations you have to give where like say you yes you had a high school only co-op then you wouldn't have to worry about what's happening with these little littler ones um right that, and that might be more of a drop and go with only some parents as the teachers so i mean yes. I, I think a lot of the rules or guidelines you put in place have to do with what ages of kids are going to be involved in the co-op yeah absolutely i agree Um, A lot of times when people begin a co-op, you know, you're doing it for your own kids. So usually you start out small and you just are looking at kids in your own, you know, other kids in their own age range to start off. The things I'm involved right now have evolved over the years as my kids have gotten older and we've added, you know, more, more parents, more age groups. So we're all, the one I belong to is once a week and it's ages four up through 18, all at different hours and different classes. But um, starting out, you you definitely probably want to focus more on the ages of your own children and what they need and the other kids their age. Yeah, co-ops do tend to evolve, like you said, and they they change and they grow and they morph <laughs> over the years. Now, um, one of the other things that um, in the guidelines would be that you might limit the number of participants to keep the co-op manageable. Yes. 
Yes, um, absolutely. And that's very much, I'd say, a personal thing. So if you're starting a co-op and you're just, you know, getting together with other uh, friends who are homeschooling, uh, you might limit it, you know, to a small group of four, five, six kids and their parents. But as you get into more academic subjects, or if you're looking for a large group kind of thing, like a physical education class, you may want to include more children in that. Yeah, I think the, you know, the different focuses of co-ops actually have such an impact on the number of participants. So for example, the hiking group we belong to, which actually disbanded for lack of participation, um, we had, I think, over 100 people on the list, but regularly only about mm-hmm. 10 families yes. would show up. And then it started to dwindle until yeah. finally the person who had founded it said, uh, obviously, we're no longer meeting a need and uh, this is too much work. I'm disbanding it. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something to be aware of when you're forming a co-op, too, that things have seasons. Right. And what about costs? A traditional co-op, I'd say, is when a parents are all expected to teach a class. Um, And sometimes, often, those types of co-ops have membership fees or uh, general supply or class fees or things like that that are set up by the parents as they discuss what classes they're teaching. More informally, the co-ops I belong to are almost always free. There's no fees or anything. Uh, And then we pay for our own supplies or bring our own supplies as needed. So it can really vary a lot, especially once you get into things like high school chemistry and there's a lot of supplies involved um, and how each co-op handles paying for those things is uh, changes. You also have to consider the location. If your co-op's needing to pay uh, rent or some kind of fee for the location they're using, that would need to be considered as a cost that's divided amongst the families. Yeah, and that's what we ran into with um, our co-op that my my middle daughter, all my kids were in it, um, but my we we went to it because my middle daughter really needed the things and it and then it had stuff for all the age groups. But we had fees to pay for um, yeah, I think it was like a family fee, and then you'd have individual costs for classes for say maybe a workbook or um, I taught a class at that co-op where I taught cooking to high school kids. And so um, they would bring ingredients, you know, for the thing we were going to make each week. Um, so there, there are ways to spread the the costs of having these classes around. Yes, and I believe it can be done really inexpensively too. Um, if you're in a smaller co-op, you can definitely use people's homes to uh, hold your co-op. Or uh, my co-op right now, we meet at a park. So you don't have to rent a building or a space for your co-op. That's not necessary. Um, And as we know, I'm sure you guys have talked about before, homeschooling can be free. So there are other ways that you can teach co-op classes without a lot of supplies or with using resources that you can find um, to make it less expensive for everyone. Yeah. Now, do you all have um, your participants sign a waiver so that uh, you all aren't considered responsible if, say, somebody fell or somebody was some, had something, some kind of a thing that arises. Do you cover yourselves that way? We do not. Ours is our co-op that we're in is quite informal, so we do we don't do that. One of the things that we do, I think, is that we 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 try to really know the people who are in the co-op, and the co-op grows. So sometimes people join our, the group um, that we don't know as well. But we, we try to get to know people pretty well and make sure we know their kids a little bit before 
they join. So we know what to expect from them mm-hmm. as well and to avoid some of that. But accidents happen, obviously, sometimes. But uh, we've just, in all the years I've been in all these co-ops, have never had a problem with that. I do know some co-ops have more formal things that they have you sign ahead. Of yeah, time, especially ones that meet in places where they rent a building. Sometimes the, yes. um, the church or the facility requires um, a waiver to be signed. Finding a location is is a big part of starting your co-op as mm-hmm. well. And like you mentioned, churches often allow co-ops to rent a space. Libraries, sometimes you can use a free space. Or you may have a co-op like yours, like where it's on the go. It's a hiking type of situation. Yeah, the ones that, that we're involved in right now, um, the social group, and um, there's, there's a hiking group that we want to start getting involved in. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, bit tricky been tricky for me to figure out how to incorporate into our schedule and yeah those are just out and about at different area parks and so there's no costs involved except you know put some gas in the car and show up <laughs> yeah and that's wonderful and if you're just starting out it's it's a great way to start with something informal and casual and and free is really it's a great way to attract other people to your co-op as well yeah, and get to getting to know people at things that are like a park day mm-hmm. are a nice way to, uh, is a precursor for maybe forming a different type of co-op. Like you said, you want to yes. get to know the people who are in your co-op. Now, what if someone comes to y'all right now and says, oh, we're kind of interested in your co-op and you don't know them very well. What kind of process do you have for that situation? So that has happened with us. Usually it's not that we don't know them at all because they found us through something like a park day or they know someone else in the classes or something like that. Um, But usually we just let them, we almost always say, yes, let's give this a try. Um, And more often than not, it'll be, if it's not a good fit, it's the other family that decides this isn't a good fit for us than us deciding that that child's not a good fit. You know what I mean? So usually if if it's not a good fit for a family they'll just choose to leave mm-hmm. and that's that's great because you need to find the place that's best for you and your right. child too yeah and nobody wants to be in the position of saying uh yeah we we can't have you keep coming that's that would be so right unpleasant. that would be difficult yeah <laughs> i wanted to talk a little bit about so we've mentioned that like they, a co-op can look however you want it to look basically there's not any hard rules on it but some of the co-ops that I've belonged to that have been a little bit unusual are um, we do a monthly science co-op. We've done it for many years out here in this area and um, a different parent teaches it at a park once a month and it's like usually they pick a topic, uh, you know, we're going to do fluids or something and they do a bunch of experiments on that topic and it's usually about two hours and we invite everyone it's not a set it's not a set like group of people who always meet it's like open to the entire homeschool community where we live oh how fun um and so parents pay a supply fee and then they just show up at the park that day and do the co-op and then we for that group we have like a box a science kit that gets passed on to another parent who volunteers to teach another subject the next month and it's been a really nice way to introduce parents who might be hesitant uh, to teach at a co-op to get involved on a you know uh, less commitment that way and and just to see how it goes and we open those up to a wide age range as well so anybody could come and participate we also have participated had for a few years a thing called kids co-op where the kids teach classes to each other and that was also just a once a month thing 
and kids would sign up to teach a certain subject. And at each one, we'd have like four different kids who would teach something like a skill or just a craft or something fun they wanted to teach. And it really, that was a great co-op. The kids loved it. They learned a lot. Everybody wanted to do it. It was very fun. That Um, sounds really fun. And then as you mentioned, you mentioned the hiking thing. We've also done field trip co-ops and things that are more like clubs and not happening as often, you know, so that they make room for people who may not be able to commit to a full mm-hmm. co-op. Don't you have a reading club? We, I do. I have a book club that I do for high school students. But my younger, when my kids were younger, they also participated in some book clubs and they would get together once a month and make food or a craft or something that had to do with the book. And those are really fun ways to start out a co-op, just something more simple and it doesn't have a lot of time commitment. Yeah, I like that. I, kn- I do know of some Shakespeare clubs where um, the people get together and they read maybe once a week. They read uh, through a play over a period of time and then mm-hmm. they might actually like just sit down and perform the play together or go to see the play if it's playing in an area. So you're right. Uh, so sometimes co-ops can be very simple. And I think we we don't, when we think of co-ops, we think of the big monoliths that's like a mini school that, sh- you know, that's happening uh, once a week for months at a time. So I think that um, there's a lot of good reasons to build your own co-op. What would be a reason not to do that, though? Do you have any cautions for people like don't try it under such circumstances? It is a huge commitment. And you do, you know, as a parent who begins the co-op, that people see you as the person in charge, even though it eventually is a group effort. But you you are responsible. There are, you know, a lot of parents, parents sometimes can get upset over things. <laughs> um, and you just have to be able to handle those kind of, uh, any situation that arises, actually, um, you know, I've had parents upset because their child has too much work to do at home or upset because their child's not doing their work. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same as being a teacher in a classroom. So there's a lot of, um, (laughs) there's a lot of more leeway between who's in charge of the student, you know, and so there's some problems with that sometimes. But overall, it's very rewarding. You need to be able to communicate well mm-hmm. with the parents. And have a have a little bit of a thicker skin, not not let things yes, get to you do. so much. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Having yeah, run the absolutely. academy, <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, like we said, we're an academy, an enrichment academy is not a co-op. But whenever you're getting groups yes. of homeschoolers together and you have to make some kind of rules, you run into some resistance or some right. friction. Absolutely. Yeah. So being, a, being able to manage mm-hmm. people, uh, interact with people and mm-hmm. not get emotional is real important. Yeah. And I think also, like with all aspects of homeschooling, if something's not working, you can change mm-hmm. it. And uh, co-ops can evolve. They can change. You can, if a class isn't working, you can drop the class and add a new one. Um, if uh, t- if one of the parents is just feeling like it's not, the subject isn't great for them, they can change it and start something new. So there's a lot of flexibility in a co-op, even after you've started one. I like that. And I think that co-ops are really a worthwhile thing for people to get into and uh, try for themselves. Absolutely. I hope everybody will give it a try if they join one or start one of their own. Here at the end of our podcast, we sometimes find ourselves at the news desk where we discuss homeschool news from around the country and around the world. What's our headline story today, Holly? 
Well, um, there's a lot of buzz about a great big announcement that the SAT is going all digital in 2024. Yes, that that is surprising to me. It is surprising to me too. And I, I had a lot of questions about how they were going to do that because um, one of the big things about standardized testing is making sure that people can't cheat on it. Right. Yeah. And I feel like the SAT has been resisting making this change for a, quite a while. I know that people have been wanting it and asking for it. So I was surprised at that too. But I did see that it will still be administered the same way as far as you will be at a testing center with a proctor. So they'll still have that oversight. Yeah. And I think what's, you know, what really is driving this, of course, is the pandemic. A lot of schools, a lot of colleges um, shelved the requirement for students to take an yes. SAT. and <laughs> Which has been great for homeschoolers, by the way. Oh, yes, it has <laughs> been. Um, and the SAT has been this big monolith, you know, this hours long test to take. Uh, normally it takes about three hours, the paper test, and takes forever to get the scores back. With yes. the digital version, it'll be better. It says that it should, the test will be shorter, about two hours long, and that it will be easier, although I'm not, I'm not sure what they mean by that, <laughs> um, but, and more relevant, which would be nice, um, and that their scores come back almost immediately in just a couple of days. So that will be a big change for students. And they're going to let them use calculators on the entire math yes. section, which I always wondered why, you know, in, in high school, you use a calculator yes. in class and then it's like, we're going to test you, forget that. Right. Well, like, let's keep things the way that people are used to doing them. If you're allowed to use a calculator in your yeah. classes, why not use it on the test? You still have to understand how to right. do the calculations. Exactly. I also saw in there that uh, I saw that for the English uh, reading comprehension sections, that there'll be short sections followed by one or two questions instead of them reading a long, long, long passage and then several questions. So I think that, again, that goes back to what they're really testing is comprehension. They don't need to have to see if they've memorized everything they've read. So I, I like that change too. I do too. I think that it's going to be helpful for a lot of students who had disadvantages in taking the former style of the SAT. Yeah. And I think that, you know, testing can be important, but it can also be burdensome and it can keep people, it can be a bar for people. And so um, it'll be nice to see how this works out when they implement it in 2024. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that they're implementing it internationally in 2023, that is but the United States isn't going to get in on it until another year after that. That's very I don't interesting. Understand what I, that's I didn't about. even yeah. realize that international SAT testing was a thing. I, I don't know what that entails. <laughs> Perhaps it is so that international students can be ranked when they come to college in the to United States. To, yeah. But yeah, I don't know much about that either. But yeah, some exciting things going on. Very much. If you have any questions, comments, or homeschooling news, please email us at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com. Like the Happy Homeschooler page and join the group on Facebook at facebook.com slash happyhomeschoolpod. Check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash happyhomeschoolpod. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Jennifer. I'm Holly. Happy, Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi, this is your host, Jennifer Jones. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-hosts are Holly Williams-Urbach and Melody Gillum. 
This podcast was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find more of her work on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or, as always, tell people about us. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, you can have a transcript that incorporates all of those things, but before you start approaching other people, I'm sorry, Jennifer. I'm gonna cut be- out again? You said, no, you said you can have a transcript. I did. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs>